Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello, and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today, I'm here with Aaron Moeller. Aaron is a Inc. 500 entrepreneur and author of The Lifestyle Business Owner, How to Buy a Business, Grow Your Profits, and Make It Run Without You. Aaron runs LBO Academy, where he teaches business or teaches people to buy a, a small business, make six figures, and work as little as five hours a week, becoming a lifestyle business owner. Welcome, Aaron. It's great to have you on the show today. Hey, thank you, Ron. I appreciate it. Cool. So I always like to start with people like the origin story, like you were born, now you're here, let's fill in that gap between how did you get from, you know, being, being you doing your normal thing and get into M&A and buying businesses and being a, a small business owner and uh, what, what we refer to as acquisition entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, well, <clears throat> it starts out uh, basically out of high school. I, uh, I was in high school and I didn't like want to go to college. So I figured um, I needed to come up with another plan and uh, pretty much put it out there to my boss. At that time, I was washing trucks. It was a pressure washing and truck washing company. I put it out there to my boss that I uh, wanted to do something on my own. And he offered to sell me half his company. This was on my junior year. Once I graduated, I was I, we had made the deal that I would buy half of his company. And um, that's what I did. I didn't go to college. I ended up... Uh, learning that sales was my forte and we built the business up pretty fast as young kid, uh, very, very ambitious. Uh, then we got into uh, a retail store. We said, Hey, let's, let's set up a retail store and start selling industrial equipment. And I always called out my four-year college education. I learned how to fail. Uh, and I was funding that retail business with our profitable truck washing company. <clears throat> and at one point I was like, Hey, to my partner, Hey Rob, you know, maybe we should sell our truck washing, our really good profitable business and dump more money into this piece of shit, you know? And so I was, but, but how do you sell a business? You know, that you know, I was literally having this conversation on like a Friday. Okay. On, and this is no BS here. Monday morning, I come in and there's this envelope underneath my door. It says per, uh, to the owner, personal and confidential. And I was like, OK, this is kind of scary. And so <laughs> I brought this uh, brought this thing into my office and I'm like, you know, opening up my the, the envelope. And it says, have you ever considered selling your business? And I'm, I'm like shocked. Right. I'm like, OK, wait a minute. Am I being like recorded? But this is night. This is a 1999. Right. So right. I mean, technology probably would have been these days. But anyways, uh, it's just a random situation. I called the broker. <clears throat> he comes over. I, I kind of interviewed him. I didn't I wasn't sure if he was, you know, very good, but he looked good. You know, he drove a, a, a junky car. And I'm like, I'm just going to give this a guy a shot to sell my business. And I had it on the market for like six months. So I would talk to these people, uh, you know, elaborately about our company and, and get into everything. And and uh, for six months, and I would sit there and recognize what my broker was doing wrong the entire time, right? And and finally, after six months, he hadn't sold the business and he hadn't sold anything. So he was kind of new to the business. And I had asked him, I said, 
Hey, Mike, uh, you know, you have, haven't really sold anything, but I think you might be perfect for our business to buy. Why don't you buy my company from me? And he goes, Aaron, you know, I've actually fallen in love with your company, listening to you talk about it this whole time. So I'm going to, you know, make an offer and buy your company. So anyways, at that time, I kind of fell in love with his job and he fell in love with my job. And I ended up buying a, an auto repair shop right after I sold my business. I didn't make anything on the business deal because I, I had debts and I just walked away with nothing. But I had saved some money up and I bought an auto mechanical auto repair shop with the intention of walking away from that business in one year or not walking away, stepping out of the business and becoming a business broker. And this was in 2001. I bought a company in 2000 and in 2001, I became a business broker selling people's companies for them. That's kind of the, the background. Okay, cool. So it's interesting. You're talking about coincidences. I was actually, uh, I helped an investor friend um, acquire an interest, 60% stake in a tow truck company. They do impounding tow truck. And we were on a call this morning He's like, okay, I'm ready for my next acquisition. Let's let's do something, and uh, like, so we were looking for bolt-ons and you know, auto mechanics. You know, it's like that fits in. And it, I just called him right before the show. I was doing my research again to kind of just do my background on you. And I was like, do you have any questions for this guy? Because like, he, he this is what he does. He's been in this space for a while. And he's like, well, I'm driving right now, but but it was cool. Like the you know, there's. I think that things happen for a reason. I don't believe in coincidences, but just to have you on the show today and have you have that experience is cool. So, you know, let's just go right into the kind of the M and A side of it, knowing what you know now and, and the experience you've had now, and you're actually helping other people do this. What do you know now you wish you'd have known before you sold that first business or you bought that first one? Um, it's a good question. I'm, let me think what do I know now that, um, how to hire a broker better. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. You know, getting somebody that like really understands the industry, uh, not new to the business. Uh, I find that I'm in uh, Las. I, I, I travel between Las Vegas and Seattle, and I've been trying to buy a business in in Las Vegas, and I I am so disappointed in our industry. Uh, I have tried to buy five companies, and every time I try to buy the, a company. I get the financials from the broker and it's all lies. I mean, it's not represented as to what, how they're represent. It's not actual to how they've represented it online. And so once I do that, I bail, they get mad thinking that I'm the guy that's not, you know, going to ever do a deal, but it's like, give me some real data. Give me some accurate data and, and don't lie. You know, like it's the weirdest thing I've seen. And, and that's the problem in the industry. And me hiring that guy was, you know, you know, he had never sold a business. So he had no, no, you know, experience to really help me through that, through that process. Yeah. There's that, there's an underlying problem there. And, you know, and I'm in my circles, we kind of joke around, say brokers kill deals. Like the reason they call them brokers, because <laughs> you uh, work with them, you might be broker than you started. Man, you. <laughs> I, you know, I've never heard that, but you know what, you're, you're, you're kind of, Right. You know, it's like I always say I'm a deal maker. I tell people rough about, hey, listen, I'm a deal maker. I'm going to try to make this happen one way or the other. Yep. Part of representing you is getting this deal done. You know, sometimes I have to explain things to you from the perspective of a buyer. Right. So, you I, know, one, oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was going to make another point on that. You know, one thing that I that I, um, you know, realized, uh, you know, when I was going through the process of buying a business, I, I happened to see how everybody did their process. And I saw all these like flaws in, in the process. And, and so what I wanted to do when I became a broker was give everybody, you know, educate them really well, you know, educate them. Don't try to sell them something that they don't need or that they wouldn't be a good fit for them. It's about matchmaking. It's about listening. 
You know, it's interesting. One of the underlying problems uh, for the business brokerage world is, uh, you know, brokers, a lot of the brokers get paid a fee for the listing and the marketing and the effort to sell. So they, they, they'll take on listings. And what happens is, and, and everybody on the show has heard this a few times, everybody watching you know, multiple episodes of this, but the scenario typically is business owner decides, I think I probably ought to sell. So they call business broker A, uh, maybe it's a referral from her friend or something. And they go in and said, I'm trying to sell. And you know what? Are you, this is what I need out of my business. And the broker always tries to one up it a little bit. Yeah, I can do that. I can probably do a little bit better than that. And they pick a number. And then the business owner thinks he needs a second opinion. He goes to business broker number two and says, hey, this guy told me I can get, you know, I'd say probably the business, you know, is uh, maybe the guy told him I can get you a million bucks for this thing, right? Mm-hmm. He goes to the next guy and he goes, man, I, I just thought visited a business broker. My friends told me I should probably talk to you too. I come to you and he said he could get me a million. You know, what do you think about that? And the, the guy goes, well, I think I can beat that just a little bit. I can do 1.2. And then, you know, next thing he knows, the guy sees a third guy and now they're at 1.4 and the thing's probably worth 700K. Mm-hmm. Right. It never was worth what the first guy did because the first guy didn't do a, an honest evaluation. He just took what the owner wanted and often when you ask a business owner, like, what do you want for your business? They say a million dollars. You ask them how they came up with the number, which I don't. I just say, how can we get you there? And we work on that later. But when you find out how they come up with the number, their financial advisor told them they needed that added to their investment portfolio to retire. Mm-hmm. has no connection whatsoever with the value of their business or how it's performing. They're just told that if you want to retire comfortably living on what you're living on now, you need this number. Right. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's the reason why I think it's the numbers are in the highest high, like something like 80% of all businesses listed for sale, you know, by brokers or on biz by sell those sites, they just never sell. And it's because nobody was ever honest with the business owner to start with that, you know, certain things need to be in place, like your financials and your team and, you know, your management structure when you leave, like, you know, those have to be in place for it to be an easy sale. And then the valuations were never done fairly for the owner. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that's the biggest problem. Uh, you know, my question, I'll, I'll ask the question, like, what's your, what's your magic number? You know, like, what are you wanting for your business? Not like what, what's your business worth, but what, mm-hmm. what are you wanting for? Right. I said, it won't, it won't change how I value your business. I just want to know if we're, you know, once I do it, if we're going to be in, in the ballpark, a lot of times they won't give me that or they'll, you know, think it's worth, like you said, owners or sellers always think their business is worth, you know, a lot more, but it's really important as a business broker, uh, merger acquisitions, whatever you're doing to educate. You are the expert, not that seller. Educate that person on why their business is not worth what they're asking or that, what they really, truly want. And and you, you made the comment of like 80 percent of the businesses don't sell and you're 100 percent right, especially in markets that don't have good brokers that that will inflate or they'll, they'll, they'll listen to the seller and just go whatever they want. It's called buying a listing. And basically, uh, I'll walk away from 80 to 90 percent of the listings. I won't even take them on because I'll educate that person. I almost do a due diligence, my own little due diligence on that company before I even list it. So I have uh, very, very good listings when I get them because I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to BS people. And I'm just not interested in that anymore. So I was just uh, interviewing one of the top coaches for, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with like Roland Frazier and Carl Allen and all those guys, the guys that the other guys that teach this space. But uh, I was just interviewing one of the top coaches for that yesterday, even. And uh, he's prior Marine. He's no joke, you know, straight thing. And he brought up a great point is that when we're looking at these business owners, 
and we were expecting a perfect balance sheet, a perfect profit and loss statements and perfect accounting, we're dreaming into a fallacy that doesn't exist because these guys didn't come out of MBA. They, they, they're like, they're guys like you. They came out of high school. They came out of a situation. They figured out they're really good at something and people are willing to pay them for it. And they built a business around it. Yeah. Right. And the only reason they ever did a balance sheet or a, a profit and loss statement or accounting at all is because they had to for their taxes or somebody yeah. told them they needed to do it to sell it. So justifying like walking away from a business because the financials are off, you know, he thinks is absolutely BS. You, you know, he thinks that, you know, one of, and I believe him now that I listened to his uh, reason, you know, reasoning behind it. And he says, if they've got a great product that's proven in the market space that people are buying. All right. And there's some growth behind and stuff. You should be able to look past some of the financials, right? If, if you know it's solid enough, you know, as a seasoned entrepreneur, I have a team that can fix that stuff, right? You have a team that can fix that stuff. You own multiple businesses, you kind of have to. So, you know, a lot of cases where, you know, a lot of these guys doing, you know, acquisitions and stuff. So a lot of their, their balance sheet was off. I, they have, they're missing things on there. And I like, my response is now is like, Okay, well, that's because they didn't do it. They handed it over to somebody and they, you know, that was created for them, you know, after the fact. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, what is your thought process on, you know, great businesses that just don't have um, great representation in their, in their math and their financials? Well, I think it's, um, here's the thing is I agree with what you, you said uh, to, to a point, right? So right. if you know nothing about an industry and you're trying to buy that industry, it's a little scary to begin with, right? And then you got to look at, so then all you have to do is go buy the financials, right? Like what does it cost to run this business? And, and, and what, you know, what are my revenues? All that sort of thing, right? So if I'm, in, if I'm in an industry and I already know about it, I don't care. I just, what's your gross revenue? I'll fix it and I'm going to do all that, right? I already know what to do right off the bat. But an industry I don't know a lot about, like an example, I was looking at a wholesale type distribution business, and they sold to, you know, some big box stores and some on Amazon and all that. Their their revenue or their their revenues were high, but their their profit went from almost two hundred thousand down to like twenty six thousand dollars. And I'm like, you know, what happened? Oh, guess what happened? Uh, shipping costs went up 600%, you know? I mean, they tell a story. You, you can't ignore that, those financials, because sometimes if you see things happening and, and if it costs, like all of a sudden now, like labor costs, especially now, you should be looking at financials. Right now, you should be looking at them because all of our costs as business owners are going up like crazy, like crazy. So it, you cannot ignore it right now. You have to see what's happening and, and make good decisions. But I, you know, I think that they need to get things in line if they really want top dollar. I mean, I just sold uh, one of my companies for, you know, a, a ton of money, you know, because, and, and due diligence was 40 days and it closed and I got all cash because my books were tight. And yeah. if they didn't have to change the LOI on the value at all. Yep. You know, the interesting thing is I, I'm of the mind right now. I was actually digging through uh, resumes for bookkeepers and accountants yesterday because I'm going to put a couple on the team. The, I honestly think that I can fish all that out. If you're willing to show me your business banking statements, mm -hmm. I can see I can see the difference that you, you paid uh, transport, you know, so and so transportation corp. The bill last month was 600, and the bill before that was 100. Mm -hmm. What happened? So it'll tell stories without actually having them have to have perfect accounting and perfect books. I think we can. 
de- decipher that. And I might be able to get some decent deals. I'm going to, I'm going to take a look at some businesses I had originally looked at and go, yeah, you <laughs> call me back when you hire an accountant to clean up this mess. Right. Cause mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but um, I think I might be missing some pretty, pretty decent deals out there just because I'm expecting things from owners that are just not in their natural nature. Yeah. Right? And I think it also, <clears throat> it comes down to time, right? So if you have the time to put into a business, uh, you can make, and I, I, I tell people this all the time. It's like, you know, what are you going to do with this business? Because that's the true, that's the true potential success of this company. If it's, if it's, it doesn't really truly matter. Like you said, it doesn't truly matter what the numbers are if you are going to be in there and really working it and all that sort of thing. Right. And, and changing things every day. But if you, if you want to be able to step out of that business or kind of be an absentee uh, from the beginning, you, you got to be a lot pickier about that business because if you don't want to put a ton of time into fixing all those things, then it's going to be uh, uh, it, it, you need to find a little bit better uh, business in that way because that does take a lot of work to to just de- define every little problem and then and then fix it and everything. So, but when you're in it every day, it's a lot easier to do. It. So, that and, I, and I don't think that I don't think like a balance sheet has to be perfect by any means. What I guess what what I talk about is. When I get these these financials from these people, right, and I and I'm like I walk away from the deal, it's it's total misrepresentation. It's yeah. it's like adding back one hundred seventy thousand dollars in inventory as a it's an ex, a negative expense. So then it becomes a positive on the bottom line. I'm like that's like you're messing with inventory, playing games to make it look like you made money. You didn't make money. That's yeah. that's what I'm talking about. It's yeah. fake. It's fake numbers. It's, it's manipulation. Yeah. I cured that really quick because I always request the last three years of tax returns, right? Like I yeah. want to see what you told the IRS. If you're willing to lie to them, we got a problem, right? You 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 got a problem. You'll you, your broker might lie to me on the on the financials, but when I compare that, it needs to match up to some extent. And they never do, by the way. They never match up hundred no. percent. It needs to match it. I need to be able to get the gist of what's going on in your business by looking at your tax returns compared to what the paperwork you gave me on your financials. If I can't make a correlation of what's going on there, there's something definitely wrong. 100%. Or they're overpricing the business now by a hundred or two, $300,000 because the misrepresentation. So all that plays into it when you're talking about books. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that keeps catching my eye with a book title and some of the stuff you say on, uh, on your LinkedIn and some other things is, you know, managing a business for where, you know, five hours a week. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about what you think needs to be in place where a business, where you're pretty much a board member at that point, right? You're just, you're mm-hmm. overseeing it. It's running on its own. What does it take to have a business running that well? What are the elements? I'm going to say that the, the very key thing is good managers, to run whatever, if you have multiple divisions or you have one comp, you know, major company with one division, uh, these managers are key. And so you have to have the revenues to be able to pay good enough to have the right type of manager in place. And then obviously all the little systems that you put into place and those are constantly changing. I mean, I'm constantly updating, fixing my problems and fixing issues, you know, like trying to make it a little better. I mean, you got safety programs and, you know, training programs and different things like that, that all, you know, oh man, I'm failing in my accounting department. You know what I mean? Like, but if you have a good manager that's going to run that business on the day to day and run it like it's theirs, uh, that's hundred percent key. And that's what I've been able to do for all my companies. So your team, mm-hmm. your, your system, and then your, your systems and processes, right? Yeah. The team, I mean, the team 
more than the systems, you know, I mean, the systems are very important too. Don't get me wrong. And that's what I teach in my book, but it, it, it's really like, you got to have a foundation, have, having somebody that will uh, follow the, 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 the um, procedures and everything. You can't just have somebody that wants to do it their way. You want them to think like an owner. And, and, and my, one of my things, I, when I hire my managers, I only hire managers. I don't hire all the other people, but and I, I say to them, first thing I said, do you like to be micromanaged? And if they go, man, I don't mind it, then it's like, okay, well, this might not be a good fit because I'm not a micromanager. I need somebody to be thinking like a business owner. I'm going to give you a lot of freedom. I said, but if I see things going on that need to be adjusted, I'm going to give you that feedback. And I expect that you're going to make those changes because I'm giving you uh, very limited feedback. And when I do, it means a lot to me and it should mean a lot to you. There's something to be said for that rigor of here's what, here's how to do this business. Here's what step one looks like. And I'm doing that for one of the projects I've got going on, uh, uh, actually in my wife's business that uh, I'm helping her kick off. Uh, and it's imagine what you, when you sit down and write down how to do what you do, sometimes you step back and go, why do I do it that way? Uh -huh. I bet there's an easy way. So you clean up a lot of the systems and processes because you're in the process of documenting it. Just because something's always been done a certain yeah. way doesn't mean that that's the way it needs to be done. 100%. A lot of times, uh, you know, things are happening. And that happens a lot of these businesses you're looking to acquire that have been around for 15, 20, 30 years. Like, well, that's the way we've always done it. Well, aren't you glad I'm here? Because well, I, I, I love all that. And I say, you know, uh, when I'm selling, like I never sold houses, but you know, here's the difference between a person buying a house and a person buying a business, right? You got to, uh, somebody walks into a house and they're like, Oh, I don't like the colors of the walls. You know, like I don't, I, I don't, I'm not going to buy it. You know, like and we're all thinking paint the damn walls, man. Right. Uh, but a business broker or I'm not a business buyer they'll go in and go, Oh man, if I just change the color of the walls, I'm going to double the business, right? So it, they have a vision and, and you have to have that vision and, and be constantly questioning your business. I do it every day. I go into companies and I see what people are doing better. And I, I sit there and go, okay, how can I enhance my business based on some things I've seen? And as a broker and seeing thousands of businesses a year, or not a year, but like, you know, through the years, it, it, it's like I've been able to, you know, really make my companies better by constantly wanting to try to be better never thinking that I know everything and, and knowing that there's things out there that are changing constantly, uh, technology and everything else, but you have to be open to it. You can't be so, um, uh, just, uh, pig headed when it comes to change and, and, and doing better just because you've been doing it for that many years. Like you said, it's funny as I've been in both worlds, I have a real estate portfolio and that, that was my previous business before I got into acquisitions. So I've been in both worlds and I can tell you business, uh, home buyers are not visionary at all. That's why there's a, there's a business out there called staging, right? People will mm -hmm. put, you put an empty room and people, and it looks small. People go, I don't even know if my furniture will fit in here, yeah. but if you stage it, well, as a kid's room or stage it as an office, yeah. they can see it, it and believe it and they'll buy the house, right? It's a yeah. huge difference. I can see where in businesses that's different. Right. And then, you were um, you're talking about, you know, um, that that visionary side of it and being able to improve things. You know, I, I go to regularly go to the like pitch things like where VCs are uh, people are pitching VC ideas. I go to the, the co-working spaces and and do entrepreneurial days and stuff and listen to pitches. And one of my close friends knows me pretty well because you don't invest in startups anymore. Like I gave him a startup that reached out through me and it's doing pretty good. Um, Somebody says, why do you buy businesses instead of startup? And you started quite a few and you do really well. I said, it's just a numbers game. I finally, somebody showed me the math that, you know, 
uh, only X number of percentage of businesses succeed after the first number of years, and only a certain percentage of those uh, make it to the you know significant business scale where it's a million dollars or more. And I said, when you do the math, it's like one in 2000. So if I want to create a business that will generate a million dollars a year in revenue, I need to go start like 2000 businesses that if I wanted to play only by statistics, mm-hmm. well, I could just go buy one that's doing that right now and have it, you know, and within 90 days, probably be up and running it. Right. And yeah. Do I mean, you do it. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. And it, it takes four, four to five years before you, I, and I love it when well, I was profitable uh, year one. Yeah. Well, you're making a thousand bucks a year. I mean, like that, that I'm not. Come on, man. Like, don't even don't even kid yourself. It, it's like that's why you buy a business because you can be profitable from day one, like hundreds of thousands of dollars profitability versus, you know, like dumping money into a business for four to five years. Um, I don't know if you knew I um, had a company called Chom Chom Roller. Have you heard of that? No. Oh, what was that? Uh, pet hair roller. Oh, OK. Yeah. And I discovered this product in 2008 with a partner and uh, he had cat problems and or cat hair all over the place. And he discovered this product. Anyways, it took three years before. I mean, I could even sell 5,000 units. Right. Like and I was ready to give up. I'm like going to the, the, the storage unit. And I'm putting stickers on each one. I mean, it was it was uh, three years for 5,000 units. And then all of a sudden it started going up. And by the time I just sold it and, and by the time uh, it, it was 10 years into it. We're selling, you know, 3,500 a day, you know, but it took eight years, almost five to eight years before I started making real money, you know, like, and then it started, it blew up. Right. So it it takes that long, you know, even with, and I I had the world's best pet. I mean, I have over a hundred thousand reviews on Amazon. Like it was that good of a product, right. Number one in all pet stuff. And so it, it just takes that long. I don't care about patents. I mean, I had all that. It, It just doesn't matter. It takes that long to be successful. So many people think that business is either a sprint. I can get, I can get there fast or it's a marathon. I got to be in it for the long run. And they're both wrong. I don't think the business is a sprint or business is a marathon. I think it's a relay race. And I just want to pick up the baton when you're five minutes, five minutes from the finish line <laughs> or, 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 you know, 500 yards from the finish line or whatever. I want to pick up the, uh, the baton when you you're up, you're running, you're in the lead, you're doing well and yeah. then take it from there. So uh, yeah. and you, I love using that analogy is like, you know, a lot of these guys like, why, why don't you want to start another business? And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you know, cause I've, I've just, I'm 50 and it's a lot of work, yeah. you know? Um, so you've been doing this for a while now. You, you've got a lot of stuff. Is there a, is there a particular reason you have a lot of stuff that's kind of centers around that auto area? Or is that just what you fell into? Cause that's kind of what you, what you're doing. I, I'm looking at it because it's very profitable uh, industry. It's actually a decent profit margins there. Um, uh, I think they're kind of ripe for a decent roll up. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I kind of, I like, other than just automotive, I like service companies because I have like a commercial pressure washing, commercial hood cleaning, truck washing company, you know, and then I have a, a handful of auto shops and things like that, right? So um, I don't really, you know, say I, I go towards just that. I, I go for service companies where you can't compare pricing, right? So luckily for Chom Chom Roller, we own the patent and the trademark and all that, right? So we were able to dominate a market. Um, in, in the automotive business, I could be the most expensive shop in town, but be the busiest shop because as long as I'm giving the customer what they want, all the things that people are craving in America these days, service, right. <laughs> um, it, it's as simple as that really, you know, in good quality, but still like service is still like what people want and be treated good and all that. Uh, you can, um, you can dominate your, your industry. 
you know, and, and, and there's, and they can't, you can't really, people can't really compare you, your pricing so much because it, it's not always apples to apples, right? They just know that, Hey, I get treated good there and they always get my car fixed. Right. And, um, and if I do have a problem, then they take care of it and I get my car washed and, you know, things like that. They, they justify it themselves. Like, ah, they're, they're really expensive, but they're really good, you know? So I want that than, than a, 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 a product business, you know? I get it. I get it. So, um, you've got, you've got a, a unique position in the fact that you're both an acquisition entrepreneur, you're buying your own businesses and you're a business broker or, mm-hmm. you are you, are you currently a business broker? Or you've been a business broker in the past Yeah, so I'm you're, you're, in Washington state and I'm getting my license in Nevada because I can't find a business to buy through the brokers. So I'm going to get my own license. Cool. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, the interesting thing is you got, you've got both sides of it. You're, you're an active buyer and you're an active broker. So one of the things I like to ask people, what are some of the common myths inside of this profession that you'd like to just debunk? It's just not true. People believe it. And it's just nonsense. Oh, well, uh, the pricing myth, you know, that your business is worth X amount uh, over your revenues. Like that's almost not even existent, you know, like, uh, you know, some businesses might sell one times revenues, right? You know, but it, a lot of people think that it's two, three times revenues. Like I hear that like all the time. That's a huge myth. <laughs> two to three times profit or, or yeah. your seller's discretionary earnings, maybe, yes. Yes. you know, but not your revenues. Not right? your revenues. Yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, I could care less what your revenues are. Like you could have a $50 million revenue business if your profit margin, if I can't figure out how to fix your profit margin and mm. if you're, pro- you know, I looked at one. I actually looked at one when I first got into this. They were doing twelve to thirteen million dollars a year, but their profit for the previous year was fifteen thousand bucks. Yeah. I, the only reason I put an offer on that was I thought I could fix it because I looked at the industry. I was looking at comparable businesses in the space, and the profit margin should be fifteen to twenty percent. So if I could even get close to that, it would be a wonderful business to own, right? right? Uh, they had too many employees, too much equipment. They had fifty-five employees and. Uh, I think 40 something vehicles, company vehicles of some sort, transportation, heavy equipment and that type of stuff. Uh, and, you know, I looked down the road, there's a company only doing 3 million. They had run $3 million business, not a 12 million, but 3 million on, I want to say 18 or 19 employees. And they outsourced all their transportation. Oh, right. Okay. And they're running at a 22% profit margin, 25% profit margin. Wow, it's like, good. okay. Oh. So they were for sale. I was like, my, my first thought was I talked to both of them. I'll buy this one and have them run that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, wow. right? Cause they're about 45 miles apart, but I'm, just, I, I'm more interested in a lot of people I know are more interested is like, what is the cash flow month to month? Cause that's critical. You could, you could be as have all the revenue in the world and even be decently profitable. If you don't know how to manage cash flow, you could be in trouble because you might yeah. be like, if you're cyclical or anything like that and you don't manage it, uh, you know, cash flow is, is critical. And then, you know, the profit margin, you know, what, what's there at the end of the day yeah. uh, that tells you more about like how well a business has been. So is there any other myths besides that the revenue multiple, like they should get two or three X what their revenue is? Um, I, I think, um, I mean, I can't, I honestly, I can't think of a myth of our industry other than that, you know, like just pricing. I mean, there's just, you know, to me, it, it's a lot of that, but, uh, it, you know, if, if that's, that's what you're asking me, right. It's just a myth of, of the business brokerage world, the, the industry. Or even in the, uh, in the acquisition entrepreneurship world, right? Like, um, Oh, that, oh, okay. That all owners uh, make uh, a lot of money, uh, businesses. I mean, like that everybody's a, a millionaire. That's a business owner. 
uh, you know, that you're profitable, like I said, you know, from day one, it, it's like, these are all, all things that are untrue. I mean, business ownership is very risky and difficult, but extremely re rewarding. And people that do it are so happy every time. And, um, but they have to put in time. And even in my book, I say, you know what, uh, I, I recommend that you spend at least 12 months in that business, learning it inside and out before you become an absentee business owner, you know? There's so many people that call me and go, Aaron, I want to own like, I want to get like one business and then I want to get like uh, three more in the year. And I'm like, well, okay. I mean, that's cool and stuff, but let's just do one first. Let's see how you do. And, and I've seen some people be able to do it. Right. And they're really you know good that way. But most people need to really get their hands wrapped around within a, a year to two years in a business before they should even go into another business because, you know, it, it just takes away their ability to focus and, and do a good job especially if the company's not real lar large too, you know, cause you don't have all the people to, to help you, you know, run it properly. What's the biggest area around mergers and acquisitions that you're still intrigued by and learning more about? Uh, I'd say right now it's a lot of the internet businesses, the e-commerce, e FBA, Amazon stuff is changing. You know, a lot of people are wanting to go that down that path than brick and mortar. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I see it. I see it changing in a negative way uh, because of you know all of our supply chain problems and stuff like that. Uh, you know, so I keep an eye on it, but I'm not as optimistic about it as as I was. And cost. I mean, look at Amazon just add another five percent on to their their sellers. You know, for fuel, <laughs> it's like five percent. That's a lot. You know, like they're already taking. If you're letting them do everything, they're 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 already taking about thirty percent. So. It's, it's a lot. So I stay away from the, so I have a, one of the rules I told you, like never buy myself another job. Now I say that anything I get a hold of, I'm, I expect to be there for 60, 90, 120 days. Right. But it's, I want to know a plan for they're running it on their own. The second rule of thumb is, is I don't touch anything where a single party can disrupt the entire business. Yeah. Right. To me, the, the, those, those Amazon stores and uh, Amazon fulfillment, is exactly there. You're one decision away from Amazon. Imagine running a fairly lean competitive space where you only have a seven or eight percent profit margin on your product, and Amazon goes, "We're going to charge you five percent more," you know, on, yeah. on on cost. You know, now that's five percent of theirs, so it doesn't translate to a five percent of your profit margin, but it eats into it, right? You're already running really lean, mm -hmm. so uh, I'm just not a fan where like one or two parties, you know, can just totally disrupt yeah. your day. Uh, I have friends who uh, were doing really well in the, uh, they were doing product reviews and they were making a killing off of like Google AdSense type of stuff. And this is 10, 15 years ago, but uh, they were printing money and this was just crazy. And then there was a change and one day they, and they were doing like uh, affiliate like stuff for Amazon and stuff. Amazon changes their affiliate program goes from, I think it was like 10% to 2%, something crazy. Mm -hmm. And two of them just like, I just can't do this anymore. I just, yeah. there's no money in it left for me. So, uh, you know, what's your feeling on like knowing who the disruptors are that can ruin your day when you're looking at these businesses to acquire? I think it's very important. I, and I look at all that um, because like you said, it, you know, one little change and, and I had a lot of challenges with my, my FBA business that I, that I overcame, you know, and I was lucky that there was changes made through Amazon and different things that actually saved my product. But there was, you know, counterfeiters and all those types of people out there, you know, that are just trying to take, take a piece of your pie. And, 
And uh, so you have to really look at, you know, there, there's a lot of consolidation happening with companies in every industry. I mean, I've been saying this for a while that, you know, eventually there's not going to be any more mom and pops because corporate America has basically like gobbled up everything and run people out. You know, it's hard to, if you're a hardware store to try to compete against, uh, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's, you know, they, they're a disruptor and, and it was, you know, a lot of people didn't see that coming, uh, you know, but you have to try to like, you know, that's what, again, I like service companies because, you know, you made a comment about being recession, re recession proof or resistant. And um, <clears throat> I like those kind of businesses. I like niche businesses. I bought a, a restaurant hood cleaning business right before the COVID uh, crash, right? And, or the COVID um, thing, you know, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that just, thing, that worldwide pandemic. Yeah. Think yeah. about it. But uh, <clears throat> right before I bought it and I was thinking, oh, this is like literally the most recession proof business. I'm buying a hood cleaning <laughs> For restaurants, you know, and they have to clean because the hoods are, you know, uh, liabilities, all this stuff. I kid you not, two months later, COVID happened. And the universe and says, hold my beer. <laughs> thank God. Thank God I was doing uh, grocery stores. So I was able to like stay in business uh, because the grocery stores still had a deli. Yeah. And so we were busy the whole entire time. But that was a great like, whoa, slap in the face. Like, wait a minute. There's nothing that's that's why I made the comment to you. It's, it's not recession proof ever. It's re resistant. And then something else comes and, and hits you in the you know, gut and goes, oh, my gosh, man. Like, so, you know, you never know what's going to happen out there. But you can't be afraid of everything. Like I, I've made millions of dollars and been very successful as a business owner. And I've failed many, many times, man, many times. And as I get older, I don't want to fail as much anymore. But, uh, you know, if you don't take those risks and, and just go out there and, and do it and try it and see if it happens, can make it happen, uh, you know, you're never even going to have the opportunity of total success, too. So what are your top three tips if you're like, you know, or top three things you want people to know if they're thinking about buying a business, going to you as a broker or, um, you know, when they're thinking about buying a like. Uh, I don't know if it's like stay in your industry or that type of stuff, but what are the top three things you think are important from the buying side? And then when we get done with it, we'll actually talk about a little bit about when they're like when you're selling. Yeah. For a buying side, I, I try to tell people, you know, don't get in, don't buy your hobby. Like I, I recommend not buying their hobby. Uh, try to find a business that um, makes a lot of sense that everybody needs that service or, or product or whatever. And, and it's not potentially going to go away in the next 10 years. Right. So you know, something that's, you know, maybe a niche type industry that you can kind of, um, you know, say, I always say the guy that's pumping septic tanks is living on the lake. You know, it doesn't have to be glamorous. People always want some fancy business like a restaurant. And I'm like, if they come to me about a restaurant. I'm like, have you ever been in the, in the, in the industry? Have you ever owned a restaurant? They're like, no. I said, okay, well, I don't recommend buying it because that's one of the most difficult industries to be in, if, especially if you don't know anything about it. You can get robbed blind. And a lot of people, you know, buy them because they're glamorous. So they think, oh, my friends are going to all come over. And you're like, you don't want your friends coming to the damn restaurant. I'm going to tell you. Uh, they want a discount. <laughs> they want everything discounted. Yes. And, you know, it's, I, I say the same thing about my auto shop. I, I don't want, you know, I told my friend, he's like, well, don't you want people coming? I said, no, I don't want my friend. You notice I don't advertise my auto shops on my Facebook page. I don't want you coming because my other customers love me. You guys all think that you should be treated like a king. And if you're not, you, I'm a big jerk or whatever, you know, like I don't want to deal with that, man. And you want a big discount. 
So just try to stick with companies that make sense and um, like try to be very logical minded with it, not emotional, you know, like, oh, I love flowers. I'm going to buy a flower shop, you know, don't do that. Like try to think, you know, are flowers a big business, a good business still, you know, photo process. I love photos. I'm going to get a photo processing company. Next thing you know, they, they're, they're digital photos, right? You know, like um, you just got to be like, try to be like lo logical about it. And if it's going to last. Funny thing was one of the, one of the bar owners pulled me aside one day and says, I'm thinking about selling this place. Are you interested? And he knew I had, you know, ties in the tech industry and I'd had some decent, you know, money come in from the, like the, the, the tech space. I was just bouncing on the side. And uh, I said, you know, I don't think I do. And he says, why? I said, because I know everybody here. I beat up half of them. <laughs> and uh, if I'm the owner, they're going to either want a discount or be mad at me because I don't let them come. You know, I kicked them out of the bar down the street five weeks ago. Yeah. Right. And I say that jokingly, but, you know, I wouldn't want to own a business where everybody that comes to the door is my friend just because it's just a, it's a tough thing to do. Um, I, I, I really believe that <clears throat> there's a, a disconnect uh, in normal friendships where in a perfect world, if you decided to start a business, they should start like a baby shower. You're like all your friends should come together, bring business to you, bring you some presents to help you start your business and support you. Where what they do is like, Hey, I know you own that auto thing. What I, can you I give me? Yeah. yeah. What can you, you know, could you give me a discount? My car doesn't work and I'm really having a rough time. It's like, dude, I know you got money in the bank. I just watched, you know, you know, but yeah, you're right. And one thing I learned from my retail store, I told you my four-year college education I had, where, you know, I, I, you know, I was the nice guy, you know, nice guys, seriously, they finish last in business. I'm sorry, they finish last. Like, don't be that nice guy because, you know, you go above and beyond, you do all the stuff you extra, and you never get paid for it. Okay. And so one thing I made the, the commitment to myself, I said, the next business I have, I am going to be very uh, good about my margins. I'm going to not get these big discounts when I don't need to. And I'm not going to, you know, go above and beyond unless I'm going to get paid for it. Right. And so when I opened my auto shop, I said, decided friends and family, 10%. My mom gets 10%. My dad, it's a hard ass way of thinking, but you know what? It, it's made me survive. And I've had situations with family getting upset because I charged them for a battery. And I'm like, that fucking battery is $110, man. Like, I'm fucking mad that you even have a fucking, uh, uh, you're pissed off that I had to try to keep my business open. And I got employees to pay. Like, don't come you should in. Try to put, you should try to put batteries in the diesels. I think I paid 300 bucks a piece for mine, like exactly. in my big diesel yeah, I'm, dually. I'm probably low at 110 now, you know. I've been out of the business, you know, every day. It's like 150 now. So yeah. I, it's just, you don't even want to do business with people like that. They, you, you want people that appreciate that, hey, I can trust these guys. I can trust my my brother or whoever, you know, to to give me or my friend they're at least not going to take advantage of me you know they're going to be and they're going to take care of it if there is a problem that's what you're looking for right i always support business uh, uh people friends and stuff and i don't want discounts yeah. awesome so from the selling side like uh, we're talking we just talking about like what other things to know about buying it when you're selling your business what are your top three uh, points that you would make as a broker like hey before you come to me have this in order or have this done um, well, it's, it's the organizing the financials. I mean, like that, that's a hundred percent. Uh, if you want top dollar for your business, get your financials in line because you're going to get a guy like Ron who wants to go buy it at a deal because your business isn't all organized and he's just going to, he's going to have to get you to discount it so he can get a deal on it, uh, or so he can fix it. Right. And so, you know, 
have your books in line and make sure that it looks good. Make sure that you, you're, you're profitable. I mean, I know that's a broad statement, but, you know, um, try to be making at least 10 to 15 percent bottom line, you know, so that you have some good value on the business. Um, and you don't have to worry about cleaning that business and making it super perfect because again, those people at buyers, you know, have the vision and, and they, they might see what they're going to do. So I kind of like it when people have things a little messy, you know, but make sure that those financials are good. And before you put it on the market, make sure your broker puts together like a very extensive marketing package. that has a lot of information and data in it that a buyer can make a really good, easy decision to buy it and pay top dollar because the information was given to them. Uh, in a very clean and, and thorough way, uh, it actually adds value to the business and your and your systems. If you ha- if your systems are in place, um, that will add value to your business too because it'll be really easy for somebody to go, wow, they run that business really good. It's gonna be really easy for me to buy this business. So that's how you get top dollar for your business. All the, all those things right there. And I'd love to see that. I've but was really really active last year. So even though I've been doing this only uh, the acquisition entrepreneurship for probably two two and a half years, I've been an entrepreneur most of my life. So, uh, but um, and I've bought things and sold things. But just this is what I do. <clears throat> I've looked at at least two hundred and fifty. We did two hundred at least for the the marketing roll up. So uh, two hundred and fifty businesses. And I can tell you, I can count on a single hand how many times people had a, what I call a deal room or a, a Dropbox folder that had everything from day one. We, we, we reached out to them. They were interested in, in uh, you know, selling, we were interested in buying. Uh, we signed an NDA and they gave us access to a Dropbox folder that had all the financials, all the, you know, tax statement, everything we at least, or at least a big chunk of it until mm-hmm. we gave an LOI and then they had the rest of it ready. I can count it maybe, I think, on two or three fingers. <laughs> you know, I don't think I get all the way to my fifth finger, my thumb. I don't think I could have to use my thumb if I counted how many times. Like what I would say is have your act together. Usually the process is I ask for certain things and I have to wait a week or two to get them. together. Yeah. And that's why getting it up, up in order ahead of time, and that's why I won't even put it on the market until I have my whole package mm-hmm. ready to go. When I sold our company, we had over 25 people doing due diligence on the other side. And... Did I have everything right off the bat? No, but I was able to get it all put together within, I'd say, 10 days of due diligence. I was able to, it was a massive amount too. I mean, it was unlike anything I've ever seen, but you know, it's, I was organized enough that I, and I knew where everything was that I could do that, you know, but have a broker help you with that because that's key. You know, that the the broker at least needs to be a good broker uh, because they'll, they'll, they'll know that, you know, that you can't like, but so many brokers piecemeal stuff to, to people, you know, okay. Now can I have the tax return? Now can I have this? Oh, okay. See, I see that. What about this? If you just put it all in there right off the bat, I mean, you're going to have a, the offer that comes in is going to go to closing if it's a, if it's all been represented properly. Yeah. Hey, uh, the one thing I would say is if you're going to a business broker today and expecting him to help you straighten out your finances, you're not going to get top dollar. We look at the last three years of everything. So I want to see your last, at least like, we might add, let you add a year because of COVID. Like, you know, if the last three years you had a bad year because of COVID or something. Or we'll too take, good of a year. Or too good of a year or something. Something's off and you want to, you know, you know, we might ask for another year or we might like, you know, you can ask us and go, hey, the first, the first six months of COVID, we were in shell shock. We didn't know what we were doing and we recovered afterwards. We'd like to give you, you know, one of the messes of it, 2018, 19, the year before it started. Yep. And uh, that's okay. But we're going to look at an average over a, a period of time. So what you have today and what you've done in the last six months, 
isn't really going to add a lot of value to your thing without having what you've done the whole time. And uh, the last three years is going to be way, way more important, the average of everything mm -hmm. than like what you've done in the last two or three months. So yeah. how do you how do you combat that as a business broker? You just you work with what you got. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, we're always looking for the story. Right. And, yeah. You know, and, and you want to try to figure out why. <clears throat> and, I, you know, large swings always scare me when I see large swings, like especially in the year that they want to sell it. All of a sudden they're like super profitable, but they weren't, you know, like the last two. But then this year they're super profitable. Then you're like, OK, but why? You know, like, uh, I, you know, I, I'm having a hard time even you know, digesting this myself, uh, you know, I always look at everything as if I'm going to buy it. <clears throat> and mm -hmm. so that's how I can give good advice, you know, to people. But uh, I, I think that you have to try to tell a story um, as to, oh, uh, you know, COVID, let's just say, <clears throat> um, is, is the worst story, you know, because it's just, it's so messy and, and you don't know really what's what f for those two years. Like an example, we had a company, one of our companies is a is a clean, you know, commercial pressure washing and we did all this disinfecting, right? And we were doing it for Amazon, you know, doing over $60,000 a month extra in business there. Um, but if you looked at that in my revenues and then you looked at the next year when I didn't do any disinfecting and my revenues grew with, with not getting that 60,000 a month, okay, that's a good story. You know, like, Hey, they, they actually got another $60,000 worth of work and they still, grew from that and aren't even doing that work over there anymore. So that's, that's a, that's a, like a big selling pitch. Right. Um, but if they're like, um, you know, it went up $60,000 a month and, and, and then the next year is down uh, and then they want to value the business based on the, the, the one where it was high and, and you're like, mm, you know, it's not going to happen. man. you know, like this, that, that current year, you know, is really, truly important. You know, I'd say I've sold in, in my years of selling businesses. I've sold more businesses on that last year than I have the average, like you're saying. So it kind of contradicts a little bit what you're saying, but it's true. What you're saying is true as well. But it, it's because I know how to package that properly and tell the store, story properly and, and, and so many brokers don't do that the right way. And so you're like, okay, but that doesn't make sense. You know, like, like what you're trying to tell me doesn't make sense, but if you do it and it makes sense, logical sense, oh, okay, that, I, yeah, this year is good. And it's, it's not an anomaly, you know, this is real, you know, this is really something that's, uh, that, that is worth, you know, paying, paying more money for or less money. I mean, if it's making less money that year, then that's what they're going to get paid on that year, you know? So I can, I can see that. And if you could show me, like, I think my biggest concern is show me how this is going to continue. Like, this isn't just a, yeah. a phase People or a... Want to see that. They, they're making an investment. They want to return on it. And, and so, and they're not, and I always say, listen, I'm not starting the business for a reason. I want a business that's making money right now and has got organized. Don't tell me what I can do. That's my time. My right. time is not your value, you know, like... So, I don't buy anything on coulda, woulda, shouldas, right? I'm like, like, why are you not doing it? I would say, well, how come you're not doing it? Yeah. I'll ask the seller that. Well, no, they can do this. I said, well, how come you're not doing it? Well, it's hard. I said, okay, well, you know, I mean, that's going to take somebody's money and time and energy to do. So you can't get value for something that you woulda, shoulda, coulda done. Yeah. You know? I don't pay money for what it could have should us. I, 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 and I bring it up real quick when they say, well, if you do this and this, it'll be worth that. And we want a premium on that. I was like, 
Yeah. No. <laughs> so, hey, we're hitting the top of the hour. We're going to have to wrap this up. Let's make sure people know how to get a hold of you, right? So we, we have it on the screen. So if you're watching this, it is uh, the, his, his business is on there. It's uh, uh, IBO Academy. Uh, no, 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 LBO. LBO, sorry. I'm yep. reading my thing. It's LBO Academy, sorry. <laughs> Lifestyle uh, Business Owner. Lifestyle Business Owner Academy. And um, the other one is reach uh, out to is his, let's see if I can get that to work. There we go. Is LinkedIn. Uh, if you want to reach out to him and connect with him, ask him about uh, you know different things, or um, just connect with him and, and and watch what he puts out there, the content and what he's up to in the world. It's uh, the standard LinkedIn, which is uh, https linkedin.com in slash a a r o n hyphen m u l l e r. Again, it's uh, so that'll be in the show notes. Uh, it'll be on. It's on the screen now if you're watching the video. But if you're on the podcast channel, it'll be in the show notes for you. Um, but you can find him on LinkedIn or at lboacademy.com. So I do appreciate having you here. We got about two minutes or actually one minute left. Is there one key takeaway you want people to know, like a finishing note? This is if you don't remember anything else, remember this. I think getting uh, information out there is important, but don't over. Um absorb yourself with too many books. I mean, you get all this, oh, I read 20 books a month. You know, I was like, fuck man, like that'll shut you down. Stay focused a little bit, you know, especially if you're a little ADHD like me, you know, like you got to like really focus. So you can, you know, listen to Ron's podcast, but don't listen to 20 podcasts because, you know, I always say, you know, don't get ready to get ready. And that's what those people are doing. They're always getting ready to get ready versus doing it. And all you do is just do it. And there's failures in life and business and everything else, but you don't have successes without, you know, potential failures. Was well, awesome, man. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, and and your key takeaway is stay away from the uh, analysis paralysis. Yes. Right. Like As they jokingly call it. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, I'm going to end the show right now. Um, thank you. Awesome. And uh, hang out for a second when we're done. All right. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show, ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer -peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T. IEPM.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.